Well, let me ask you to turn in your Bibles to Romans chapter number 8. We're in the week 9 of 10 weeks. Wrap up this series next week just looking at this idea of who we are in Jesus Christ, that we are champions because Jesus Christ is our champion. And that's really been what we've looked at as we've walked verse by verse by verse through Romans chapter 8. We've maybe learned for the first time in this series of, of what we've been given and who we are in Jesus Christ and, and those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus Christ throughout this series. And so you've learned this for the first time. God's opened up your eyes to this for the first time. For others of us who've been followers of Jesus Christ for a while, maybe we've been reminded of those things, maybe even convicted of things that maybe we have chosen to forget through circumstances or, or or throughout this series, we've been encouraged on once again on who we are and what we've been given in Jesus Christ. And so as we come to these verses in Romans chapter 8, verses 31 through 34, here's the title of the message this morning, Facts or Feelings? And we're going to see that in verses 31 through 34. We're going to see this idea. And I'm going to give it to you right now, and hopefully you're taking notes. It's this. Champions in Christ... And what I mean by that is people have placed their trust in Jesus Christ. People have said, it's not the good that I do, but it's in the perfection that Jesus Christ has lived for me, died for me, he rose again for me. I'm trusting in that for my salvation, that champions in Christ look to the facts of their faith, not to the fickleness of their feelings to remind themselves of who they are. Because can we just admit where we all are from time to time? There are times when the way that we feel is in direct opposition to the facts of who we are. I mean, that's true of me. That's true of you. There are just going to be times when the way we feel is in opposition to the facts of who we are, to what God's Word says we are, to what the Holy Spirit affirms in our hearts that we are. There are going to be those times. Our feelings are at times going to question our faith. They are. And so it's not really whether or not that will be the case, but it's understanding this, that the enemy's strategy against you and against me, those of us who are followers of Jesus Christ, his main strategy against you and me is this, to cause me to doubt that God is for me. That the enemy's strategy against you is to cause you to believe. And to believe that because there are those times when our feelings will tell us or will want to communicate to us. And the enemy will use those to get us to doubt that God is for us. That God's for you. That God's for me. And I just want us to just go all the way back to the beginning of the Bible just to remind ourselves. And really I want you to see with your own eyes that what I'm saying in that reality is not my opinion, but it's actually seen in Scripture. So keep your finger in Romans 8. Let's turn to Genesis chapter 3. And I'm going to read, start reading in verse 1. And look at this. It says, Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Did God actually say? Like you ought to like circle that phrase in your Bible. Did God actually say, say what? You shall need of any tree in the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, this being Eve, 
We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. You know what I, the reason why I had you go to this passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 3 is to remind ourselves, maybe for the first time, learn this for ourselves, this, that the number one question the enemy will use against you is what we see in verse 1. That question, read it with me, did God actually say, say that again, did God actually say that is the number one question that the enemy will put into your mind and in my mind when he wants us to doubt that God is for us it's what he did all the way back with Eve Eve did God actually say this and the enemy's point in that was did God actually say this because God is actually trying to sell you short on something He's trying to actually keep what's best from you. God's not really for you. In fact, he's really against you. Did God actually say? I mean, every time I'm faced with the choice, am I going to believe what God's word says or am I going to disbelieve what God's word says? Am I going to listen to what my feelings may be telling me right now or am I going to go back to the facts of my faith and remind myself of what is true? That phrase is always there. Did God actually say that? I mean, I know that's what it says in his word, but did God actually say? And that so often takes place when the way that we feel is in contradiction to the facts of who we are. See, I just came up with some questions to really identify where we are in the room this morning. And if one of these are you, just in the quietness of your mind, you need just to be honest with God and say, God, that's me right now. Not out loud, but in your mind, to God, because God already knows it. Let's just admit it, right? I wonder how many of us are feeling like this, man. We've walked through Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 29. We've walked through that. We've, we've seen what God's word says, and I wonder how many of us today, because our circumstances, our feelings are wanting us to doubt what the facts of our faith say, and we're asking ourselves right now, does God really, I mean, really love me does God really love emphasis me? Like, we would say, I believe that God's word, I can find it says God is love. I, I know that's what God's word says, but I'm struggling to believe not whether or not God loves you, but does God love me? Maybe that's what your circumstances are wanting you to feel and wanting you to ask. How about this one? How could God really love me maybe when I lost my job? I'm serving God, I'm, I'm in his word, I'm praying, I'm, I desire to do what he wants me to do, but why would, like, how could God really love me if I've lost my job or whatever it is that you may have lost up to this point? How about this one? How could God really love me when my husband or wife has left me for someone else? Maybe that's you today. And your circumstances and your feelings are causing you to ask that. How could God really love me when I've done something I thought I'd never do? And you've committed some sin, and you're like, man, 
three weeks ago, a month ago, three years ago, I would have never thought I would have done that, but I'm struggling right now because my circumstances, I'm feeling this way. How could God really love me when I've done what I thought I would never do? How about this one? How could God love me when this tragedy has happened in my life? Or how could God love me when I've been diagnosed with what the doctors say is an incurable disease? Does the way that I'm feeling, my circumstances are causing me to ask those questions. And what we need to understand, and we saw in Genesis 3, and, and just be honest with when those times come where our feelings are in direct contradiction to what the facts of our face say, we need to understand that the enemy is always going to attack our feelings first. He's always going to go at those first. Because as circumstances change, our feelings change. And feelings are good things. They're God-given. It's not that we shouldn't embrace those feelings. But our feelings should never dictate or override the facts of our faith in who God says that we are. And so here's what I want to do this morning. I want to ask and answer two questions. In verses 31 through 35, here's how I've worded it. When the way you feel questions the faith of who you are, and it's going to happen, and it's probably happening right now, and if it's not happening right now, it's, it's going to happen in the future. When the way you feel questions the faith of who you are, ask and answer these two questions, and the first one's found in verse 31. Look at it with me. Paul's this. Paul says this, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Here's the First question we need to ask when the way that we feel questions the facts of who we are. Here's the question we need to ask ourselves. Who is for me? Like, let me just ask myself that. Who is for me? When I'm feeling off, when I'm not feeling like I'm a champion in Christ, when I'm not feeling like I'm loved by God, let me ask myself this. Who is for me? And let me look to God's word for the answer. Because what I love is, is it doesn't, is really, when it says, if God is for us, who can be against us? It really doesn't give out the idea of what Paul is getting at in our English. What he's really saying is not if God is for us, but he's saying, since God is for us, who can be against us? So what Paul is doing through the Holy Spirit, is he saying, listen to me, when I have questions, or the enemy wants to ask me questions, God gives promises. And God's promises are conclusions to my question. So when I want to question and say, man, who's really for me? What I remind myself of is not if God is for me, but since God is for me, who can be against me? And the way that I answer that question who is for me is this way. God is for me. Write it down. Remember it. Let's say it together. God is for me. Say it with conviction. God is for me. And all the opposition in the world that may be against you is not greater and will not overthrow this promise that Paul highlights that God is for you, he's with you, and he's working all things together for your good as we looked at in Romans 8, 28. He's for you, he's with you, he's working all things, 
all those evil things, all those sinful things, all those tragedies, all those circumstances that want you to feel a certain way. He's working all those things for the good. Why? Because God is for you. And when I'm struggling in the questions of the way I feel are, are going against the facts of who I am, man, I need to bring myself back to this question. Wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Let me remind myself, who is for me? God is for me. My mind brings questions, the enemy brings questions, but my God gives promises. And those promises are not in the form of a question. They're promises with a conclusion. Since God is for me. Think about it this way. Every great accomplishment, pretty much in any avenue that we run, has some type of assurance that is given to remind yourself of what's been achieved. Like, think about it. Like, if you graduate high school or college, like, there's a comp- an accomplishment that's been made And there is a way that signifies that you have achieved that, right? What is it? It's a diploma. So you can go into your office or in your home and you hang those diplomas. And what do those diplomas, why do you hang those diplomas? Some of you may, some of you may not. But why are you giving that diploma? Because it's a sign, it's a symbol that this has been achieved. It's an assurance. He or she actually did do that. Think about it when you get married. What do you get? You get a marriage license. That marriage license signifies, guys, that we have actually achieved something. Someone has decided to love us enough that they will be with us till death do us part. Can all the guys say an amen to that who are married? Right? That was really weak. So God bless you when you get home today. But every one of us have a marriage license. More than a ring. I can wear a ring. But that license actually shows and is an assurance that, you know what, on this day, I got married. Think about it in sports. When every athlete, whether high school or college or pros, when they win a championship, what did they get? They get a ring. And that ring gives assurance, is an assurance that something has been achieved. Now let's think about this as a boxer, that when... If a boxer wins a championship and is a champion, what do they get? They get a belt. And that belt is the, it signifies that they indeed are a champion. They come in with that belt when they come into a ring. Why? Because they want everyone to know who they are. And after the match, if they are victorious, what happens? That person comes around and they strap on that belt, and that belt signifies, I am a champion. You know what I find so interesting? Is in Ephesians 6, 14, when Paul's listing out that armor of God that we need to put on every day, you know what he says in verse 14? He says, stand therefore, having firmly around your waist the belt of truth. And I wonder how many of us, we've sat in this series week after week after week after week, and we've been encouraged, or maybe we've struggled, or whatever it may be. But when I look at that verse in Romans 8, 31, and I look and Paul says, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What he's saying is, is when I look 
at everything that God has done for me in verses 1 all the way through 30. And I look at all the ways that God has shown me that he's for me. Look at all the things that I've been given through the Holy Spirit. Looking at the forgiveness that's been given to me through Jesus Christ. And I look at all those things. My only response is be able to say, I'm blown away. What shall we say to these things? And I wonder how many of us this morning, and when we get up tomorrow morning, that what we ought to do is we ought to say, you know what I'm doing this morning? As a follower of Jesus Christ, when I get up, I'm going to remind myself. I'm going to ask myself, regardless of how I feel, I'm going to say, man, I'm not feeling like God is for me today, but I'm going to say, wait a minute, let me ask that question, who is for me? And let me remind myself of what Romans 8.31 says, wait a minute, God is for me. And when I wake up, I'm going to say that, God's for me. And I'm going to strap on that belt, and I'm going to walk out of those doors, and I'm going to go to my job, and I'm going to go to that hospital, and I'm going to deal with this situation, and I'm going to remind myself that I have a belt of truth that tells me who I am. I am a follower of Jesus Christ a champion in him. God is for me. Believe it. Wear it. Remind yourself of it. That's why I need to be in his word every day. That's why I need to get in and remind myself, what does God say about who I am? Man, when those fickleness of my feelings want to get me to doubt and want me to get me to question and want me to ask myself, did God actually say? I need to say, wait a minute, let me ask myself again. Hey, who's for me? And let me remind myself, God is for me. God is for me. But here's the second question that I see. Look at verse 32. It says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also graciously give us all things? Here's the second question that I need to ask. Not just who is for me, but how do I know God is for me? Like it's taking the fact that God is for me and applying it to me personally. Like that's what's so important. And when I open up God's word every single day and I go to this for the source of truth, and I open it up and I read what God has to say, that the first thing that I do and what we so often do is I need to apply it personally. Like God is wanting me to know today that not if God is for you, who can be against you, though that's a tremendous promise, but God's wanting me to apply it personally. And you know what you ought to do? You ought to, in your Bible, grab that pen, and if you don't have a pen, grab it out of a register. And grab that pen, and right above there, when it says, if God is for us, and right above us, your name. That if God is for Johnny, who can be against me? So that when I look at verses 32 through 34 and the feelings are wanting me to question who I am and those questions of doubt and the way that I feel questions of facts of who I am, I say, wait a minute, God is for me. Here's how I know why. Here's how I answer that question, how do I know God is for me. Here's the first way, because God gave you his best. His best. Not mediocre, not his leftovers. God gave you his best best. And you know why I say that? Because of what we just read in verse 32. It says, he who did not spare his own son. Jesus is the greatest gift that God had to give you to show that he is for you. You doubting that God is for you today. 
You're saying, man, I believe that is a fact, but I'm struggling to apply it to my life. Wait a minute, let's get personal. How do I know God is for me? Because Jesus, God gave me his best, and his best is Jesus. The only person that had the right to be spared was Jesus. But God rather gave up his best, gave up Jesus, the second person of the Godhead, God in the flesh, who lived perfection for you and me. He died for my sins and your sins. He rose again three days later. God did not spare his best so you and I could be spared. So you and I could enjoy God forever in heaven one day. So you and I could have the means to live this life in a way that honors and glorifies God. God gave you his best. But look at what he says based on that reality. He says, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all. Here's the conclusion. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Like when I understand that God gave me his best, why am I struggling that God's going to not meet every one of my needs? You ever have this happen, parents in the room? Have this happen, you're, you just got done like giving your kids, like you went through the drive-thru, you went to a restaurant, whatever it is, you just spent significant amount of money and like three days, three hours later, like your kids think that they're going to die and starve to death. Experience, am I the only one in the room? Dad, I'm so hungry. I think I'm going to die. I'm so, I'm, I'm starving. We've got a team that just came back from Haiti. They have an idea of what starving looks like, right? But your kids are like, oh, I'm starving. I'm starving. And you're like, seriously? Like you just ate three hours ago and I paid for your meal. Do you not think that I'm going to provide another meal for you? Right, as silly as that is, how often do we treat God like that? Where God's like, have you not read verses 1 through 30? Have you not looked with your own eyes what I've given you? Yeah, I may have said no here to this, and I may have said not yet to this, and I may have said, no, this is the way that I'm choosing to operate here. But don't let the feelings and the fickleness of them cause you to doubt the facts that you're mine and I'm for you and I've given you my best. And if I've given you my best, then will I not also meet every single one of your needs both physically and spiritually? And when I'm struggling, I need, to, I need to ask myself this question. God, let me remind myself, who's for me? God's for me. How do I know God's for me? God gave me his best. Here's the second thing. God forgave you at your worst. God forgave me at my worst. Look at what it says in verse 33. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. We looked at that word justification last week. To declare innocent. It's a judicial term. And I don't know about you, but there's, in my life, my conscience can convict me. The enemy sure can chirp in my head and tell me, man, I can't believe you did this. I can't believe you did that. I believe that you're not worthy of this. I mean, our consciences convict us. The enemy accuses us. And God knows who we really are. Which can be a scary thing, can't it? 
Like if we had to describe what is the, what's the characteristic or the quality or, or, or the way that God is ascribed in the Bible, and we might say, man, I love that it says that God, it gives the idea God is king or God is creator or God is Lord or God is sovereign. But I'm pretty sure not many of us would say, man, I love the idea that God is judge. Probably not many of us. Because the idea is of thinking God is a supreme judge who knows everything. And if he knows everything, that means he knows every sin that I've committed. Not just the ones I love to share in life group, but the ones that are there that I'm not ready yet to share because I'm so ashamed of them. No, no, God knows those. He knows those. Not the ones that you excuse away or think, no big deal, you don't mind sharing. No, no, no. The ones that rock you at your core, God knows those. And the idea that I may have to stand before God one day and give an account for those things, let's just be honest, it can cause anxiety in every one of us. But when I look at verse 33, and the emphasis is, is who's going to bring a charge against you? You are a follower of Jesus Christ. You are elect. You are chosen. You are loved. Who's going to bring a charge against you? The obvious answer to that is no one. Why? Because it's God who justifies. So what Paul is emphasizing is this is a beautiful, glorious thing to think of God as judge because he's the supreme judge. He's the judge of all judges. And if he's the judge of all judges, that means his jurisdiction is universal. Like when God makes a decree, there's no going to a higher court of appeals. So when God makes, made the decree that you are innocent through Jesus Christ, doesn't matter if you're critics want to point out your sin. doesn't matter if the enemy wants to remind you of your sin because God has declared that you are innocent. There's no higher court of appeals. You are innocent and you've been declared that by Almighty God. And the reality of me reminding myself when I want to ask the question, how do I know that God's for me? Wait a minute. God not only loved me at my best, not only, God not only gave me his best, but man, he forgave me at my worst. My absolute worst. The things that bring me shame, the things that I may be even struggling still with guilt. No, no, no. God has forgiven those. He's forgiven you at your worst. That's why Romans 5.1 says, listen to this. Since we've been justified, there's that word, by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to me. God forgave you at your worst if you placed your trust in him. No one. No one. Say that with me. No one is going to bring a charge against you that is going to trump what God has said for you. And here's the last thing I see. Look at verse 34. Yet another question that the Holy Spirit asked through Paul. And don't you love it that it's in the form of questions? Because the Holy Spirit knows how we struggle. He knows the questions that our feelings are going to ask. And he words them as questions so that we can remind ourselves of the facts of our faith. He says in verse 34, who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Here's the third way that I answer according to this text. How do I know God is for me? Not just because God forgave me at my worst, not just because God gave me his best, so that's amazing, but because Jesus Christ is my champion. Do you see that question at the verse 34? Who is to condemn? 
I mean, I look at that and I'm like, that's the first thing that Paul covered in Romans 8.1. Very first thing. There is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. But it's almost as if the Holy Spirit knows that we may be still struggling even this morning to really believe, am I really free from God's condemnation? Am I really been forgiven of my worst? Has God really given me his best? And the way that God answers ultimately that God is for you is he says, I want you to look at Jesus. I want you to look at him. And he just mentions these things. Look at it in verse 34 again. He says, Jesus Christ is the one who died. You want to know if God's for you? You want to know how much God's for you? Jesus Christ died for you. Ephesians 2 says, God, lo- Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. He doesn't mention just there his death, but look at what he says. More than that, who was raised? So Jesus Christ is your champion, not only because he died, but because he was also risen. Because there's no victory. There's no standing up here this morning and saying, I am a champion in Jesus Christ. That God is for me. There is none of that without the resurrection. He died, he's risen, and here's something that's not emphasized very often. He sat down. Did you get that? Look at verse 34. I'm not making it up. Look what it says. Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, he was the one who was raised. Look at this. And who was at the right hand of God. Jesus Christ sat down. It says that in Hebrews 12 too. And you know what's interesting? When you look at the Old Testament sacrificial system, is you don't find anywhere, and it's not described anywhere, that the Jewish temple had one single chair. There was no chairs. You have a lot of other furniture mentioned that was in the temple, but not any chairs. You know why? Because it was to emphasis that the priest's work was never done. He always had to make another sacrifice because there was always going to be another sin. Always had to be another day of atonement because we're sinners and The priests always had to work in covering those sins. But when we get to Hebrews 12 too, when we look at Romans 8.34 and it says, Jesus Christ is at the right hand of the Father. The emphasis there is that when Jesus Christ lived and died and rose again and went back up into heaven, here's what he did. He took his rightful place and he sat down. And by sitting down, you know what it's, he was communicating? It's done. That what I said in John 19, 30 on the cross, it is finished. That because I've lived perfection for mankind, because I've died for their sins, because I've rose again, I'm in heaven and I'm sitting down at my rightful place. And because I'm sitting down, it communicates that I've done for you what you couldn't do for yourself. You want to know how much God is for you? He's sitting down. And in his sitting down, he has communicated to you that he's done everything necessary necessary for you to live a life as a champion in Jesus Christ. But it doesn't stop there, does it? It says he's at the right hand of God, but then what does it say? Who is indeed is interceding for us. Romans 8, 26 and 27 talked about how the Holy Spirit prays for us with words that can 
that we don't even have. Right? Remember we looked at that? And how the Holy Spirit is ministering to us in those dark times. But here we have not only the Holy Spirit interceding for us, but now Jesus Christ is emphasized as interceding for us. And here's the significance of that. There's no need that you or I can possibly have to which the Lord Jesus Christ is indifferent. No problem for which he will turn a deaf ear. No situation too great for the power of Christ. No issue too complicated for the wisdom of Christ. No circumstance in my life too small for the love of Christ. There's no sin too deep for the forgiveness of Christ. And if there's fear in your heart today, it is immediately known to Jesus, your intercessor. If there's sadness in your heart, it's immediately a sorrow in Jesus' heart. If there's a grief in your heart, it is immediately a grief to his heart. Why? Because he's interceding for you. He's giving you strength when you don't have strength to go on through the Holy Spirit. He's giving you hope when you don't have hope. He's giving you everything that you need. Why? Because God is for you. He gave you his best. He forgave you at your worst. And Jesus Christ is the epitome of the reality that God is for me. I mean, that's why in Ephesians 4.19, Paul says this, and my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. And what do I do? And the way that I feel questions the facts of my faith that tell me who I am I go back and I go to this passage of scripture and I tell myself and I ask myself who's for me and I say with confidence and I say it with conviction and I say you know who's for me God is for me and every day that I wake up, I need to say, God is for me. And every day I wake up, I need to get into God's word and I need to strap on that belt of truth and I need to walk out of the doors of my house and walk into whatever circumstance it is and says, I am a champion in Jesus Christ. God is for me. And when I want to doubt that he's for me, I remind myself, wait a minute, I can say that I can wear that belt of truth with confidence because God gave me his best. He forgave me in my worst. And Jesus Christ is my champion. He's seated down at the right hand of the Father. He's interceding for me. So I hold this belt up high and I tell myself of who I am in Christ. And I remind myself that I don't have the strength of my own. And I remind myself, but I don't have the strength, but Jesus Christ does. And I have the Holy Spirit. Let me remind myself myself today let us declare today of who we are God is for you do you stand with me this morning because we cheer about so many things whether it's a game and our team won yesterday, whether it's a kids in a play, whether it's our kids bringing home good grades, God willing, whatever it is, we cheer about so many things. But can we put our hands together this morning that we are champions in Jesus Christ? Let's praise him for it. Let's declare who he is. We are victorious through him. And let's walk out of these doors lifting high our identity, and who we are. You and I today, as a follower of Jesus Christ, are champions, 
Not in our strength, but in Jesus Christ.